Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy Mac. May. Tonight we got a good one. We got Cavs, we got Celtics, and honestly, this is usually a worthwhile matchup. Who could forget the 40-40 game from Donovan Mitchell and Karis LeVert, which came in an overtime victory over Boston just last season, held three of their four matchups last season, went to overtime. It was always a back and forth affair. Cleveland was actually 6-4 and four against Boston over their last 10 contests prior to tonight's game, and it's honestly been a really competitive series as of late, one that typically promises to be worth the price of admission. So I was really hyped up for this one, especially considering that it was coming against the top-seeded team in the East, and I felt that it was going to be a good litmus test in my opinion. Oh, and by the way, Cleveland entered the game as an 11.5 underdog in this one. Clearly, Vegas didn't like our chances. The absence of Evan Mobley likely had a lot to do with that, so I wasn't really upset about it. His length had been bothersome for Boston in the past, so I really felt like he'd be missed, and honestly, he was in some degrees. In other degrees, the Cavs kind of got by. More on that later. But while limiting them inside was going to be important, it should also be noted that Boston entered the game ranked 18th in the NBA in three-point percentage, but they had made the league's third most triples up to that point. So defending the three-point line was going to be paramount because typically they get these shots up, right? They are just one of three teams that have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense at the moment. They are that good, ladies and gentlemen. Offensively speaking, they are pretty deep. They trot out basically three 20 points per game scorers in Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kristaps Porzingis, who just returned to the lineup against the New York Knicks the previous game after missing his last four. And quite honestly, guys, that was the one that I was most interested watching play out, especially without Evan Mobley out there. I knew that Tatum would get his, and he did, right? I had hoped that we could limit Jalen Brown as well, but that obviously wasn't the case. I mean, he literally scored Boston's first eight points on the night and would finish the game with 25 points overall. But I ultimately felt that if Porzingis is beating us, it probably was not going to be a good night. More on him in a minute. Overall, from simply a basketball standpoint, this was a great game, guys. Cleveland got off to a great start, limiting a very dangerous Boston Celtics team to just 21 points on 36% from the field in the first quarter alone. In fact, those 21 points were Boston's lowest scoring affair of the first quarter this season. But then Boston, like any contender typically does, hit Cleveland with a counterpunch to begin the second quarter and stole the lead. But we ain't no scrubs ourselves, right? Cleveland fought and scrapped right back and took the lead back heading into the second half. Boston would open the second half with a quick barrage by Jalen Brown. But then our boy Spider, you know, he ain't about to let some of that shit slide. He would soon take over and score 11 straight points for Cleveland in route to a 10-0 run for the Wine and Goaters. And then Boston responded with a cascade of buckets of their own. This was how it went for the most part. Such a back and forth affair as the teams exchanged buckets. That's just how it went. And right up until about the midway point in the fourth, it had the feel of a game that whatever team had the last possession was probably going to win it. It ultimately didn't play out that way, obviously, uh, especially towards the second half of that fourth due to a few different things. Uh, but they opened the fourth with Darius Garland, Karis Levert, Isaac Okoro, 
George Niang, and Tristan Thompson. And I thought they did okay to start the fourth. Levert scored Cleveland's first seven points of the period, and they got some pretty good looks in route to pulling ahead 99-96. to However, that would be the last lead that they would hold as Boston just wouldn't go away. They put their foot on the pedal. And don't get me wrong, Cleveland did not do itself many favors defensively tonight. After that first quarter where they played a lot more man, they seemed to go into a zone defense, and frankly, Boston just picked that shit apart. That was certainly a sour point for me tonight. I really did not like that zone, especially after watching a few Celtics start to drill some shots that they haven't they hadn't been making in the first. Sam Hauser, for instance, he's literally knocking down over 44% of his triples that and not exactly on a small volume of shots, my friends. It's just not happening. He's converting on 2.7 triples per game at the moment. That would rank third on the Cleveland Cavaliers, right behind Donovan Mitchell and Max Struess. And this is a reserve, right? It's not a starter. This is a reserve who is playing less than 23 minutes per game. But the bulk of his shots, right? The bulk of his shots, 6.1 of 7 to be exact, are coming from three-point distance. He is a shooter. That is his primary job. And I didn't feel like Cleveland took that into account. And that's just kind of like one of those game-within-the-game kind of things. And he burned them a few times for that. I mean, look how wide open they leave him here. Tatum's just able to retrieve and get the steps to the basket. How is it for three? The zone combined with the failure to close out on the perimeter led to way too many open or wide open looks in that fourth quarter and really the entire game at certain points. Yet still Cleveland was right up in it. But after Donovan Mitchell knocked down a jumper to tie the game at 106, things just fell off a cliff on both sides of the ball. Offensively, they became stagnant, not enough ball movement, and too much isolation basketball. One of the familiar tropes for this Cleveland team when things just aren't going right is just to rely on one-on-one matchups and guys just out-talenting and, you know, out-beating their man due to talent, right? Due to skill. The good looks that they did get, they failed to capitalize on as they would go scoreless for about a three-minute stretch after Donnie tied the game at 106 with about 6.05 left on the clock. And they wouldn't score again until Jared Allen uh, hit a floater with about 3.35 left on the clock. But honestly, the game really felt out of hand at that point, right? It just kind of felt like we were scratching and clawing back to make the lose the loss seem less, uh, you know, less blatant, you know, just making things look a little better, I guess, to, to for lack of a better term. Defensively, Cleveland is fighting an uphill battle in two regards. I cannot mince words here. It's one thing to try and contain the offensive juggernaut, that is the Boston Celtics, uh, starting five. It's a whole other thing to battle the refs as well. In a post-game article, Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com indicated that Cleveland has shot 509 total free throws to their opponents combined 573. The disparity here is insane. Just insane. Time and time again, the officiating seems to play a big role against the Cavs. The free throw disparity was yet again awful as Boston took nearly three times as many free throws as Cleveland did in this one. It didn't truly feel like it came down to physicality either. Any type of contact that Boston initiated seemed to draw the ire of the officials as whistles were blown very, very frequently. Need an example of how the officiating went? 
Donovan Mitchell was teed up after complaining. Okay, all right, complaining a bit, and rightfully so, after a blatantly missed call towards the end of the second quarter that cl- the ball clearly rolled off of Porzingis, right? It's hard enough to win games in the NBA, but it gets even tougher if the whistles always seem to be overblown. And that was especially the case in the fourth as Boston took eight free throws to Cleveland's one. Not kidding here. One free throw with most of them being given to Kristaps Porzingis. And look, I understand they were able to get more than a few mismatches with Porzingis lined up against Donovan Mitchell at one point. There's a couple of sequences in which, hey, the smaller man is out there defending Porzingis and you you don't love that, right? That's obviously a mismatch that Porzingis is going to take advantage of, whether it's drawing contact or just flat out shooting over you. It's going to happen with a player like Porzingis. But Cleveland had to kind of limit that occurring, and I didn't feel like that was the case. This, in addition to already having to try and contain uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, it hurt. It really hurt. It was backbreaking. Now, some of the calls were just ridiculous. Struce didn't like this call. Oh, and that's why. Oh, yeah. That's a flop. A 7-foot-3 flop. All of this led to Cleveland losing the game 113-120. to And to be honest with you, I'm not really all that mad, as you can tell. I thought it was a really solid effort for the most part. It's a very good Boston team without the services of Evan Mobley. And the truth is, we've rarely gotten to see our full rotation at full strength. That's just the God-given truth. The only true rotation caliber players to be available in every game are Max Struess, George Niang, and I guess you could probably throw Tristan Thompson in there, although that's kind of debatable. Everybody else has missed time. Mitchell, Garland, Mobley, Allen, Levert, Okoro, Wade, they have all missed some time. It adds up over time, and certainly it's had its effect on the team's ability to compete some nights. Tonight, that wasn't so much the case. You could clearly feel the absence of Mobley, but it ultimately didn't damn the Cavs, right? Evan Mobley not being out there did not, it wasn't the final nail in the coffin. They competed just fine. They just didn't execute down the stretch and, and they, they they lost to a better team. But even still, considering this is a team that Cleveland has typically played very well against as of late, I still have a lot of faith in. I have a lot of faith that this team can walk away with a win on Thursday against them. This loss puts them uh, at six and five against Boston in their last 11 matchups and three and two against them in the Donovan Mitchell era, which dates back to last season. Although there was obviously negatives as referenced already, there were some good things as well, right? This was not a bad game by any stretch. Actually, from a basketball perspective, I thought this was a pretty fun watch. Even if you're not a fan of either one of these teams, you probably felt like, hey, this is a very, very back and forth playoff-like atmosphere where we could eventually see these two teams down the stretch in the postseason if things shake out the right way, right? But again, there were some good things here too. For instance, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, they kind of ate tonight against perhaps the league's best defensive backcourt in Derek White and Drew Holiday. They would go for a grand total of 55 points on a combined 22 of 45 from the field, including going 9 of 21 from the distance, which has kind of been the bane of the Cavs' existence, honestly. Mind you, this is coming directly after such a uh, woeful shooting performance against the Orlando Magic in which Garland and Mitchell went 
a combined five of 19 from three-point distance. So that's a step in the right direction. And it wasn't just those two, right? Max Struess bounced back to a degree, going 5-11 from distance as well. Okoro and Niang each knocked down a three as well. This culminated in Cleveland knocking down 19, count them, 19 of their 45 triples that were attempted. That is good for 42%, ladies and gentlemen. Those 19 also represent a season high, by the way. They're figuring it out from distance. There's still some things where the offense is a little bit gunky, right? Especially in the half court. Things just kind of don't seem like they're, um, they're they're coming as easily as they did last season. But I think there's still time to figure this out. I think they have the personnel to do so. I'm just trying to give this thing time to gel, especially with all of these guys missing so much time. Just the case, right? From a defensive standpoint, uh, the, the player that I thought that might end up killing the Cavs in Porzingis was just six of 15 from the field. And although it felt like he got bailed out, to, especially towards the end of the game at the line, I felt like Jared Allen uh, and company did a pretty solid job against him. Allen spent the bulk of his time defending him and held Porzingis to just three of nine from the field. And some of these individual matchups, you know, the game within the game went a little better than I expected as well. Dean Wade, who was inserted into the starting lineup for uh, Evan Mobley, in addition to Isaac Okoro, I felt like they both held their own in limited minutes for the most part. Honestly, you're not going to stop Jalen Brown. You're not going to stop uh, Jason Tatum from getting their points. It'll happen. They will score over you. They are that good. There is a reason why those two are making as much money as they are. There is a reason why they're perennially uh, looked at as potential all-stars and all NBAers. They're just that good. So you're not really truly going to stop them. All you can do is hope to contain them. And uh, elsewhere, I honestly, Cleveland, they committed just 12 turnovers all night. That's solidly below their average of 14 and a half on the season. Darius Garland specifically turned it over just twice. So he's trending upward in that regard. In fact, he's averaging just 1.8 turnovers per game over his last five appearances. Overall, they are now four and three when they turn the ball over 12 times or fewer. So there are they they are trending in the right direction. In that aspect, you want to see some of these uh, lackadaisical passes and some of these just mental errors kind of go away, right? There were points in the game tonight where that occurred, but um, by far, they're starting to limit those turnovers more often than not. Some categories honestly pointed to a possible Cavs victory. They shot better from the field. They turned the ball over less. They handed out more assists. Uh, but the area outside of free throws, which obviously we just spoke about, that may have damned the Cavs was the rebounding battle, which they lost 35 to 45, in, uh, which in effect gave Boston more second chance opportunities. And while Boston didn't necessarily capitalize on many of these, uh, continuing possessions after some solid defensive stance and effort on the part of the Cavs, that was just as backbreaking. It's not just about whether or not they're they're hitting on these second chance opportunities. It's about hey, you're giving the you're giving the opposing team more chances to do so, and in fact, they have the ball more often than you do, right? That another possession for the enemy is one less possession for you. Taking all of this into account, still, I'm still fairly confident in this team's abilities. Uh, they just have to learn how to close out a team, right? 
especially against the, the the better opponents out there. It's one thing to beat up on, uh, you know, the the the, the weak teams out there, but it's one thing to execute down the stretch against a contender. And to me, a huge part of that is solving the third quarter issues that we continuously see with this team. So far, Cleveland is ranked 22nd in the NBA in points scored in the third quarters of games. But more importantly, they are allowing teams to score 27.8 points. A big part of this is the fact that they allowed their opponents to shoot 38.9% from distance during these frames. These are critical frames, right? The Cavs, obviously, I believe they went into tonight's game with the lead, but they couldn't hold that, right? It's critical to get off to a good start in the second half. It it, it really is. Um, That 38.9% from distance, that's actually the ninth highest uh, rate in the league. Pretty damn high up there. They are being outscored in third quarters. And once they figure this out, things might operate a little bit more smoothly. We might see this team kind of put two and two together and learn how to close teams out. They will have another opportunity to face this very same team on Thursday night. And hopefully they can split. I really have a, a solid level of confidence that it's very possible because we saw a lot of good things tonight. I honestly felt like the Cavs, For the most part, they put in the work. Some things are starting to translate more often than not. And uh, we are getting guys back. We just got Karis LeVert back. Hopefully, we'll get Evan Mobley back here sometime soon. Hopefully, by the time this airs, maybe we'll get an update on the condition of Evan Mobley. But overall, like honestly felt like this is a – it's not a game that I'm truly discouraged about. Am I disappointed? Hell yeah. I wanted to take that one, obviously. But considering it came against the top-seeded Boston Celtics, the Cavs gave them really all that they could handle right up until the midway point of the fourth. That's, you know, that to me is a disappointing, obviously, but it's not discouraging. I feel like we're trending in the right direction. And when we get Evan Mobley back, I feel like, uh, you know, we're going to put together a pretty solid run. Honestly, that that is my, those are my thoughts. You know, this is not like, uh, the game against Orlando where it just left you feeling just it just left a sour taste in your mouth because of the woeful shooting. And even in that game, the Cavs actually did pretty well uh, for the most part in terms of defensive game plan. But it just didn't it didn't work out. They did. They couldn't knock down shots to save their lives. And against this Boston team, they were able to reverse that. And this Boston team is obviously better than Orlando. So when you get Evan Mobley back. I feel like things might get better, right? And then you get to after these games, right? The people who are wanting to get rid of Karis Avert or get rid of Isaac Okoro, get rid of both. I am. Let me make this abundantly clear. I am not against moving players if it makes a team better. What I am against is just moving players for the sake of it because you don't believe in the role a guy is playing or you feel like a guy hasn't developed at all in the case of Isaac Okoro. That's where I push back. If you're going to move these two guys, which I am sure the Cavs are probably not going to do, even at the trade deadline, unless some deal comes across the table that's too difficult for Kobe Altman to turn down, right? I don't see that happening. This is the roster, in my opinion, for at least the duration of the season. I get why people might want to move on from Levert or Okoro because you want to clear space for the younger guys like Amani Bates and Craig Porter Jr., who you know, you guys know I've basically been pining for. 
uh, to, to, to see regular rotation minutes, but I'm not at a rush to do that. Uh, you know, in I'm not so rushed to do that, that I'm willing to just throw a Coro or Karis the vert out the door for pennies on the dollar. It has to be a deal that actually makes size, uh, makes sense for this Cavs team. And I just haven't seen one that's been presented out there just yet. So no, I still believe in the main core, the main cast of this team. And that in to a degree still includes those two guys. They may not be core players, but they are part of the rotation. So I, I still believe in them. That being said, Hopefully this team uh, can can put together a wire to wire victory over Boston to kind of dead some of this some of this talk on social media because it's draining. And obviously, I'm sure the the, the Cavs players they're human too. They're not immune to this stuff, and they they tune it out for the most part. But I have to wonder, like with the way that Cavs social media is, I often wonder to myself how much of that actually plays into the mindsets for some of these players. I'm sure it doesn't, but it just from a fan standpoint, it just sucks to see people so up and down in regards to this team. It's like after a big time win, people are like, the sky's the limit for this team. And then after a a disappointing loss, it's like, oh man, time to sound the alarms or time to start trading off assets, things of that nature. When really, honestly, there's a lot of gray area here. The Cavs, they lost to a very, very good Boston Celtics team and they made it a game without one of their best players. That's not, it's not discouraging. It's disappointing, but it's not discouraging. That's my point of view. Um, I guess that's where I'll leave it at. That being said, you guys know how to reach out to me. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot, upset review to It's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and I will send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good night.